As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Well, brace yourselves, it's debrief time. This is the final Why Always Us of the season. It's the Athletics Manchester City podcast. I'm David Mooney. I'm joined by Sam Lee. Hi, Sam. All right. You're uh, you're fresh <laughs> off the plane, aren't you? <laughs> Literally, just in the door, yeah. Um, I was just thinking about what I was going to say on the podcast, and a lad, as we were walking towards passport control, he was like, when are you doing the, when are you doing the podcast? I was like, don't worry, mate. It's coming. <laughs> it's, it's all in hand, yeah. Uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price. You'll get access to all the great writing and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, and you'll get ad-free versions of the podcasts as well. So just go to theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod to get this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod. Um... Before we start, Sam, I just kind of I kind of want to lay the ground rules for everybody listening to this. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, there's there's plenty of fans who right now with a, with the morning after the night before as we as we talk, um, there's plenty of fans who don't know how to feel. Plenty are angry. Plenty are disappointed. Plenty are philosophical about it all. Um, and they're all perfectly valid reactions. I'm not here to tell you how you how you should be feeling, and you're not going to do the same. I know that. Um, it's fine to reflect on the achievement of the season and, and get into the final and to be disappointed with how it's gone. It's also fine to be happy that City have Guardiola and the players that they've got uh, and still be annoyed at, at what happened on Saturday night. Um, it's fine to remember losing at places like York and Wickham and Lincoln and all that sort of thing, but also remember that this that this team has had so much more invested into it than, than that one did. It's, it's, it, it, it's very easy to have mixed emotions about the whole thing and just be just kind of fall into the, the trap of feeling thankful for... for for being in the conversation. Um, and I don't want to, to kind of underwrite anybody's feelings here. I don't want I don't want people to feel invalid about the way that they're reacting to the game. Um, but also I don't want this show to just be a complete rant fest from me or you about what happened. I want I, I don't want it to be an excuse just to beat up Guardiola and the players verbally, that sort of thing. Um, but I do think we need to get to the bottom of what went wrong, why it went wrong, and, and how they can improve it in the future. Um, and we saw from the team sheet when when, when that team was announced, um, I was worried. You expressed your thoughts on it to me in uh, in WhatsApp as well. Um, what time was that? that what time did I... Uh, it, I, 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 can, I can check right now. Uh, yeah, right. It was um, about 10 to 7. So uh, just uh, literally oh, right, okay, just as the right. team came out, yeah. Yeah, fine. Um, no, just just because I well we were, we were at lunch and somebody suggested it and I was like that nah, bollocks, and then I I asked asked around and somebody replied saying like we're basically the same thing without me saying what it was. Somebody replied with the same thing and I was like oh god, and this was about probably about four o'clock half four, and at that point. I just started to mentally prepare myself for what was going on. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like we've talked all season, haven't we, about how 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 he's resisted the urge to scratch that itch, and then uh, I, I mean, like the, the idea that that uh, or the thought was that Guardiola was just past the idea of uh, of just overthinking everything and trying to to over prepare in in various various mm-hmm. places. And whether you think he overthink overthought it or not doesn't really matter. It doesn't help the narrative that that he changed the team and they lost. Um, so I mean, for, can you understand what possessed him to do it to to start with? No, 
Um, and I mean, now now just getting back, looking through Twitter, there's a there's a few tactical things about oh, he was, maybe he's trying to do this and trying to do this, and I'm not disputing that for a second. And like, obviously, he's not mad. He hasn't he hasn't picked it for no reason. Um, but just why? Just why? I feel like you're not on anchor man when Ron Burgundy read out fuck you San Diego and everyone hated him and that bloke I can't remember who it was he was like the weatherman or something just went up to him and he was just like crying just couldn't get the words out like why did you do it I literally that's how I feel like (laughs) what like what have you done Pep I I don't get it and like as much as there's just so many threads to it but like okay if you decide that you don't need Roger or Fernandinho then why does it have to be Sterling like what have you seen to suggest that okay he can get through the spaces and he's fast and he can disrupt them what happens when he gets to the box what have you seen I mean to be fair he scored a goal in training but he must presumably he's scoring goals in training all the time he's not fucking scoring them in games like, I, I just like there's just so many elements to it and okay Gundogan like, before the game as well I was like okay well obviously Gundogan played really well there a couple of years ago I know that Everyone knows that. But it was a couple of years ago. Why? Why tonight? Um, it did. It just. And then, so you're moving that around, and then the player you're bringing in is Sterling, and then you're moving Foden. Well, Foden was perfectly fine where he was. And again, like I've always said, and as I've said to to people who've asked me this morning, like Guardiola could explain exactly what he wanted, and he could get up drawings on the screen about what Chelsea do and the spaces you wanted to explore we could be like yeah okay and probably believe him but like I've as far as my understanding goes which obviously counts for very little but as far as this podcast goes it's all I've got like as far as my understanding goes it, it makes less sense than Leon because at least it was like okay well they can't attack a lot and that's what he was trying to and that's what he was trying to stop and I, I can see that with the problems City have had this season which were counterattacks, at least he's trying to put that right but what problems was City having with the way they were playing this season? Yeah, they yeah. didn't. There weren't I, any. I, and I can speak from you know from from kind of my personal feelings on how the game had gone. I I, I don't mind losing a one-off game. It happens. You know, it happens all the time. If, if City had gone into that game and and you know lost it one 0 as they did, but they played the setup that they that they've been playing really well with, and it just hadn't worked. You go, okay, fair enough. You hold your hands up. It's not worked on the night. Um, but I always think that there's an, that the the element of that Chelsea game was he may have seen something something from from Tuchel's Chelsea about how they're going to attack the game or or, or what it, what he needs to do. But I I, I always think the very the, the very first thing that you need to do is give yourself the best chance of getting the best out of your own players before you then start to nullify what the opposition are going to do. And I feel like the, the, while the, the system wasn't that dissimilar to the usual false nine setup, in fact, the formation may have even been the same, but rejigging the selection and moving players around and, and all that sort of stuff, it just it just takes that couple of percent away from, from too many performances for it to be cohesive and, 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 and suddenly it becomes disjointed. Do you, do, does that make sense? Yeah, completely. And like, if he'd have got City to the final... By going, oh Gladbach, they do this, so we'll we're going to do this, and oh Dortmund, and then changed it completely for Dortmund based purely on what Dortmund do, and then if he'd changed it again for PSG, and then he changed it again for Chelsea, but like, okay, well it's worked so far. But what worked so far was keeping it the same, and he said himself, he literally said, I've used the quote about four times in four different articles, like we haven't thought too much about them like we're at our best when we do what we're good at and then so why this this is the other thread to it it's like it goes against everything like everything he's been saying this season so yeah. even if he does sit us down and say well there's this space here that Raheem could get into and then if Foden's here then we can do this and Gundogan can get the ball quicker but I mean he said he said Gundogan was playing because you know he's he's, he's a fast passer and he gets people on the ball quickly but the whole reason they've like make allowances for Rodri not being able to run is because he can pass. So what does it say for him? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I, but, I, I, I think with the the, the Gundogan thing, the the 
the biggest issue I felt that it had was there were so many times where Diaz or Stones had the ball at the feet on the halfway line and there was no short pass to make that triangle yeah. in the centre circle. And that short pass basically unlocks City's attack because it draws a Chelsea player to the ball yeah. and then... Fine, Fernandinho gives it back to one of the centre backs, and they and, and they look somewhere else. But it's just moved the opposition shape around, and the fact that Gundogan was slightly further forward than than where Rodri or Fernandinho would be meant that pass was never on, and so City were immediately going out to the the fullbacks and going going down the wings, and they, they they ended up doing that thing where they pass it in a horseshoe situation for yeah yeah, yeah. for for what felt like weeks. But you know, people are talking, oh, you know, the the, the players played poorly, etc. and stuff, and it, it can't all be on Pep, and it's not all on Pep, obviously, but. It's it all, yeah. But it's, it it all comes back to the lineup, though, really, because again, talking about how what Pep said this season. Again, I've written it a lot. Do you remember after the the Chelsea game in January at Stamford Bridge when he was like, and it, this was just right at the start of the Renaissance, really, and what had changed. And he was like, "We're not a team to play 40, 50 meters." He was like, "Counter attacks are best left for Tottenham and Man United and Liverpool." You know, we play our game a thousand passes, and then. Pre-match last night, oh Pep, what what are you doing? And he's going, oh we, you know, we we're, we're, we're going to get attack, behind him. Yeah, it's like no, like that's not how you attack, though, is it? Like you you as like our stats guys discovered when I did the article on how they won the title, they've got the slowest attacks in the Premier League, and but it doesn't mean they're slow. It means they attack at the right pace at the right moment. They they're patient, and then they go right. There's the space. They don't try and force it. There was a couple of moves. I don't know, it was around the time they just started to get a bit of control back in the game, probably about 25 minutes. And they'd create, I think it might have been when the Foden chance that was yeah. blocked by Rudiger. But then after that, they just like, basically just like, somebody just dribbled straight into like two Chelsea players. And then they got it back. And I was like, well, just keep it this time. Don't do that again. And then Walker just like ran at him. And he was like, what, what are you doing? This isn't, this isn't what you've been, you've been asked to do. Um, I mean, an interesting part of it is, well, I mean, asked to do all season, and th- I mean, they've probably been asked to do it for on the night, night. Yeah, I guess. But this is this is another part of it, and it's something. I think we mentioned it in the preview show the other day, just about you know the pressure, and Guardiola was like, "Oh yeah, I, hope, I said he had a, he had a, a throwaway line in his match of the day interview last week, saying hopefully we can you know handle the pressure," and I think I mentioned, yeah, I mentioned his his quotes in Italy last week. The interview he did when he said, "You know, Barca, my Barca team played finals like friendlies. You know, they, they weren't phased, but you know, City, we, we're not so used to playing the friendlies." And I, so I, I mentioned that in my article, and a, a sports psychologist DM me about it. I think he's put it on his LinkedIn as well, and he was like, "Absolutely," but it was only like a throwaway bit, not a throwaway bit, but it was a part of mine. Main, mainly, it was about Guardiola and the whole overthinking thing, and when he does and when he doesn't, and whatever. But it was like, obviously, there might be a part of it where at the end of the day, this was their first final. And you could see by how devastated they were afterwards that it meant so much to them. And De Bruyne going off crying was obviously so huge for him because he was probably thinking, well, I, obviously, I can't affect this anymore. But I, this is just my theory, and it's probably bollocks, I admit that. But I wonder if he was thinking, we've, we've got nothing here. Yeah. Like, I wonder if he knew, just because this is how City do it so often, isn't it? Like, how often... Because they've come back, haven't they, City? But they've come back from behind against PSG, against Dortmund. They did it against Villa in that period as well. I think there was another game. But not when it's getting into the second half and they're playing like that. No, well, because you can start a, to see what's coming. There's a there's a key difference between when City get come back into games and when they don't. In fact, we did a podcast on it a few a few months ago. Yeah. Um, the the point at which it became when when Chelsea scored in uh, in Saturday's game it was it was almost the point kind of because it was so close to half time it was almost uh, uh, okay you've got half time get in make make the tweaks that you need to make at half time and you know just be yeah. bold and do it early and and and, and fix yeah. the setup um and that he didn't do that that it came out and and kind of trundled on a bit longer it felt then like as soon as it was just wasting time yeah as Jesus came on and then Aguero came on and 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 these these fixes then become sticking plasters to the problem. And when City have sticking plasters to a problem, they don't score. They just don't do it. They don't. If they if they go back to what they know and they play the way they they can play. And if he'd gone to the setup and like, he brought Fernandinho on, didn't he? Um, but if he'd done that at half time, say, and he had he he'd made the change that I think pretty much all of Twitter was calling for, which was uh, Sterling off. 
um, Fernandinho on and Foden out wide. If he'd kind of gone to that setup at that point, I feel like like City would have had a, a chance of getting more control in the game. But the more the clock ticks down and the more these these other kind of tweaks are made, everything just just kind of remains a little bit disjointed because the fix isn't quite the answer to what they need. And yeah. and the heads are gone. And the, yeah, yeah, and and, and like the, you, you can see it as soon as the as, as soon as you you kind of look up at the clock and suddenly it's seventy five, suddenly it's eighty minutes. You're thinking they're not scoring it, and yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it's it's very easy for Guardiola. Guardiola's again quite right to to, to point out the. They were almost chances, weren't there? There were moments where the ball gets flashed across the box, and and Aspilicueta, um clears it from under his own crossbar, and you know uh, Aguero chips the cross into Mendy's hands instead of uh, over him to Foden. These they're, they're they're chances to create chances, but yeah. there's there's we no always talk about that like yeah. last season when it was like okay, well if they'd have done that, then fine, but yeah, but they didn't it. do that, and there's the they're they're, they're the points where um, it's it, it's it. You know the the xG for the game isn't going to isn't going to isn't going to reflect those opportunities because they're not involved in part of it. But it's a very handy way of saying City were just not imposing themselves on Chelsea. And the the, the fact is, you know, Aspilicueta cleared it, Mendy caught it, and you know it was it, it was it was largely quite comfortable for Chelsea in the end. It was yeah, because like as much as it was the period after the second half when it was like okay, City got a bit more control here. It was like well, Chelsea just dropped deep, so. They've said, "Well, you, you carry on then, lads." And with the game being that way, I think the way that City had set up was even less likely to work because with City was with Chelsea sitting deep and not leaving so many gaps. Then, what's the point in having a load of fast players who are just going to run forward and not put their foot on the ball and you know use powers and all that kind of thing? Yeah. But no like, space. And just, just yeah, exactly. And just go to go back to the sports psychologist. He said a lot of words I don't understand. But basically, mine was just it was just a couple of paragraphs in the article to say maybe this was a factor. But he was just like convinced. He was like, "That's the biggest thing." Like it's like, more than more than the lineup or anything else. He was like, "This is the reason." He was like, "the the occasion was just clearly too big." And like, I mean, he was kind of stating as a fact. Maybe that's just professional opinion from from seeing it and the players. But you know, he says he works with. With players who play in these finals, and he kind of knows what to, to recognize and stuff. So I'll, start, I'll give him a call in the week just to talk about it a bit more. But that that's a really interesting point, like the kind of the mental preparation. And Guardiola did mention mention it a few times, didn't he? He did say, you know, it's our first time here and that kind of thing. But uh, I, I did write in the article. I was like, it's effectively the Chelsea players' first time there. Okay, the the club have been there before, but I don't know how much that matters. May, yeah. Maybe a bit. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become The Athletic's England show throughout the tournament to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight Euros. Elsewhere, Michael Cox's Zonal Marking Pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games, while Adam Hurry's Football Cliché Show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines. So, as this never ending domestic season finally draws to a close we'll have plenty of Euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks time 
the other side of the um, uh, of the coin as well is I, I know a lot of fans. Uh, just while we're still on the setup and everything, I know a lot of fans are, are, are quite. Uh, I'm quite happy to say that if they played the normal way and lost, and I, I, I put myself in this camp as well. If they played the if they played the way they played against PSG or Dortmund and lost, uh, and you go fine, okay, it didn't work. Um, yeah, it's yeah, a, it's yeah. a lot easier to take, and I think um, I, I just I, I just feel like like in that in making the selection that he did, he didn't give he didn't give his players the best opportunity to 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 go and win that game. And the irony is, you know, we were we were doing podcasts at the start of the season talking about how Guardiola was sacrificing so much of the attacking threat for control of games. And he's ended the season with no holding players sacrificing control for an attempt at more attacking threat and it just it just really isn't like him. Yeah, like trying to draw a thread between all of the Champions League performances. And kind of from his, you know, Bayern and and City since leaving Barca and the, since the last final and stuff, it's just so up and down in terms of the approach. But I mean, it does just it does go to show that it it's game dependent, really. Yeah. Obviously, the Leon one was heavily influenced by the problems they'd had all season, and you know, shutting up shop against Tottenham was the same kind of thing. But then, yeah, to, to go from that to this, it's it's almost like that sub against Leicester when taking Fernandinho <laughs> for the lap, fifty one minutes, just, yeah. Like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. And like, normally on these podcasts, I feel like I can talk for a week, but I almost feel like I don't know what else to say. Yeah, but you, you live and die by your decisions, don't you? And that's that's ultimately he's uh, the, the one thing I will say is is um, he earned, he's earned the right to make those decisions. Uh, I just wish sometimes he wouldn't oh, yeah. quite, he wouldn't quite scratch that itch as uh, quite as vociferously as he did the, on Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the intro to my article is a bit silly, but it's the scorpion and the frog analogy. Like he just can't help it, can he? Yeah, like he he he, ju- he just can't help doing something and like look the popular opinion in the press box was he's just trying to be the phrase was the cleverest man in the room but i don't think he's doing it for his ego i don't think he's doing it to no, show I off think I think he's just he's just he see he sees things and he's so i don't know he's so just kind of wired and geniusy he just sees things and thinks well that'll work but for i mean for whatever reason might not I don't know, take into account that Gundogan hasn't fucking played there for two years. And <laughs> <laughs> that Sterling's been out of form since February. Yeah, yeah. And, uh... and by the way, Pep Sterling, the, the guy that isn't very happy and wants to leave, and you know this, might not be the best bet to play a Champions League final. Yeah. Um, I uh, I do genuinely believe, though, that, that he, he went into that game thinking that was the best way to win it. I don't uh, I don't question his integrity on that. Well, yeah, yeah, on that, of course. On that it's, but, it's, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. but there's just so many... There's so many elements to it that I can't get my head around like at least with Leon you scratch the surface a bit and it's like okay well they 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 are struggling with counter-attacks this season so at least he did try and stop that and I remember kind of feeling more guilty for as the as the podcast went on last year after Leon, thinking maybe I was a bit harsh initially and maybe it did make sense but and look maybe over the next couple of days it will make more sense or you know it will be explained better by somebody who understands it better than me or I'll have a conversation with somebody who does it or whatever. But I just I did I I can't I can't imagine what level of detail would have to go into to persuade me that chucking everything out the window was worth it. Because this is what I was saying earlier about say oh well the players let him let him down and stuff like that as well. And it's like but like he said they're not a team to play 40, 50 metres because of the big spaces emerge and we talked about how they've controlled the counter attacks by keeping everything tight. And that's why Rodri had problems last year because the pitch was too open. Yeah, and, and even and, and even on Saturday season, night, they were, yeah, they were running forwards too much and exposing too much space. It's like, why have you turned it into a basketball game? It didn't have to be a basketball game. I mean, but I mean, maybe maybe it did because the way he says about Leeds, like he talked about the you know the Leeds game earlier in the season. I know it's ages ago, and like it was very early in the season. It was only the third game, and like Gundogan had COVID anyway, so he couldn't play. But like when. It, it was like, so Leeds had more possession and he was asked afterwards because obviously it was in the kind of narrative was, well, City aren't playing very well, are they? Like, what's all, what's all this about? You, you even didn't have much possession. And he was like, well, it wasn't that type of game. And it was almost like, well, it's not almost like this. It was the fact that he was like, well, you don't have possession against Leeds. You're going to have loads of spaces, so you may as well try and exploit them. So he was probably thinking that. But could you not just close the game up? And he just, and like, again, because he's talked about how this season 
because I think he said it after the Carabao Cup final and he referenced the Everton FA Cup game. He was like, we've won games this season after 90 minutes because we don't have to get to an hour and panic and start pushing forward. We can just know that even in the last 10 minutes, we can still score a goal. And that hinted at more of an evolution and more patience in terms of using the ball and reacting well to setbacks and, and yeah, just keeping your head, staying patient. Could you, could you not have just closed the game up and just stop Chelsea from scoring and stayed patient? And, you know, have enough faith that that team you've got will create chances because, again, Pep, that's how you've won the title, mate. Yeah. And that's how you got to the final. I I just don't, I really don't get it. And, like, I, I'm, I'm very much aware that, you know, Pep or somebody on his level could listen to this and be like, this guy, he's so convinced of his own ideas, it's ridiculous because he's got no fucking idea. And I haven't got any idea. But I just... I just don't. It's the most inexplicable one yet. And you know me. You know, I, I said before I really wanted to win it. I wanted City to win it. I don't think Pep overthinks things generally, or at least I didn't. But fucking, <laughs> it's, it's hard to stand it's by. It's hard that to now. defend, like, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I'm not. I'm not a guy that's like waiting for. I don't. I don't want to write about overthinking after a game. You know, it's the worst thing to do. But what? Like what else could you write from the game last night? I mean, but, well, I suppose the the sports psychologist guy wrote it would have would have done something, um, all all over all over that, or I don't know, may, but I couldn't do anything on the performances because you start going, oh, well, Zinchenko did this and Sterling, but and Gundogan wasn't like, well, what, they shouldn't be in that position. The whole thing about Rodri's improvement, as I've said all season, like I think everything that was thought about Rodri in the first season and the second can coexist because. He can't run around when people are counter-attacking past him because he's not mobile enough. But when you stop those counter-attacks happening and you get him on the ball rather than off it, he looks better. Yeah. And that's the same for all of them. Like, So the first three years of Pep, everyone, whether they were a new player or Silver or Company or Aguero, everyone was playing the best football of their career under Pep because they were in a system that worked for them. And then last season, they all looked crap because the system didn't work, did it? Yeah, because he he was trying to p- protect the defense as best as possible, which was probably the best course of action, maybe, maybe not. Um, but it didn't get the best out of the players, and then you still had you know you had you had Rodri chasing chasing back, and you had Gundogan further away from the goal. So the job he was asked to do, you know, which made a lot of people think, well, he's not very good. And obviously, we've seen that now. Now he's given a better role. People realize how good he is, and it's all about that. It's like he does if he'd played Foden in midfield all the time, he would probably struggle a bit because he he can't do what Guardiola wants him to do but he puts him in the front three and he looks amazing yeah um last night when you opened up the pitch again and loads of spaces and you kind of willingly turn it into a basketball match like the defense have been better under pressure this season individual battles and stuff but like stones looked like he was gonna have a shocker after about 10 minutes like he, he sorted it out, but he was just getting run ragged every time the ball yeah. was played in behind him. And it's when you when you consider the chances in the game as well. I talked about those chances that City had, uh, or chances to create chances that City had. The the biggest moments were all Chelsea's. Like they they could have seen the yeah, game yeah, off in yeah, the second yeah, half. Yeah, exactly. Like at, at no point did I even mention. I don't think those kind of opportunities where they almost got to the byline to cut it back because when Timo Werner misses two sitters in the first 15 minutes it kind of negates it the only thing was Sterling had that one earliest that the earliest chance was Sterling when he had the ball over the top from Edison but again if you had somebody on the pitch who's got a better first touch they've got a better chance of scoring so that again it comes back to the selection yeah, and like like I say, the, I, I might throw it off again. But the point being is, I don't dislike Pep. I don't think he's an idiot. I don't think he can never win the Champions League. I I will fight anybody who says he needs Messi to win the Champions League because it doesn't mean anything. It's, it's bollocks. But and like I, I just saw a, a notification a minute ago because it was a quote tweet in my article from this morning. It was like feeding the narrative to get clicks. I was like. <laughs> no, like I just don't. I just can't see it. I can't conceive of this match in any other way. There, as, again, as far as my comprehension goes, and it, it might it might not be worth anything, but I I can only see cons really, or at least if there's two neg- if there's two pros, if there's two oh well, we wanted to do this because we can exploit these spaces, blah blah blah. They are outweighed entirely 
by by the cons all the just just ripping up the whole game plan for what made City so good this season and again it goes back to the uh, FA Cup semi-final against Chelsea when obviously I was more like well you know he obviously had to make the changes because of fatigue and and that's just how it was um but after the game you know people like why did he make so many changes and he was like don't say after the game say it before or like are you telling me that Jesus and Sterling didn't deserve to, to play it's like, yes, that's exactly what we're saying. <laughs> and also loads of people were saying it before. So genuinely, um, I mean, I, I, I doubt people are going to ask me for proof, but if you want, I'm sure I could find a message I sent to somebody. And like me, me, Jack and John, would, we, we, yeah, we were in the stadium about what? Quarter past five? And we were just hanging around. And I've, I'm sure it was before the teams were announced. But I mean, we all knew before anyway. But we were just like, well, I was like, forget it, forget it. Like Jack, Jack thought there was more potential for it to go well, and, and like Sterling would would have a, a good game, and and like that's that is fair enough. I'm I'm not saying I was right because I, I saw it coming, and and anything else was wrong because you know maybe Sterling would have scored that early chance or whatever. But I would just, in terms of my own analysis of this game, it's not the potential reacting to what happened yeah. on the pitch as soon as I heard that because like I say initially I was like no but like surely not like surely not and then as soon as I heard that yeah it was most likely that team I just thought forget it yeah um, I want to bring in uh, this that came in on Twitter in the mass of tweets that were sent last night um, from uh, silverbullet2120 who says uh, on the podcast can you please discuss the confidence hit players must take when Pep doesn't play his best team against a side that we should beat he's basically saying he doesn't believe in that team and needs something special um, mm. and there's no. uh, I, I don't know I don't know how true that is well, there's, but there there's is a an psychological e- element yeah there, there's an element there though that he obviously doesn't think that that the setup that beat PSG and beat Dortmund would would do it in this game. Well, no, um, but by but by the same token, and this is actually a good analogy for probably what we'll talk about in a minute, or a good allegory, whatever you want to call it, um, whatever the right word is, call it that. Um, <laughs> no, he he obviously doesn't, but that's not necessarily a criticism. Like you wouldn't try and beat. Barcelona the same way you're trying to beat Burnley so of course you would like change it if you felt you had to um, so that's fine but but then it, you don't always have to be right for people to give you the credit and in this case if it's the players and it's like earlier in the season when you know after the West Ham game and I wrote the article about Pep's new contract and what's going on and, and I was like Look, I personally think he's the best man for the job and the decisions he's making I can't remember exactly what it was but it was like the decisions he's making might not be working out but they might be the right ones and they're not working out but it, it doesn't matter if he's right because if the fans get on his back or you know the players decide they've had enough it doesn't matter if you're right or not because the the reality can get so warped so quickly yeah um and and so this is the thing so if you're then if he's then thinking like a bit like i said earlier on if he's thinking well we can do this because this is the best way to do it and the players are capable of doing it but the players are thinking what are, you, what are you asking us to do this for? So, like, the fallout to the Leon game last year, it was like, it was all doom and gloom and, you know, the situation in the dressing room isn't good. But that was actually true and it's not it's not so different now. Um, and this is, this is basically now setting up an article that I've written on the plane and it's an article that would have been written this week or later because it's about the summer plans and the summer plans are the same regardless of if they'd won the, the Champions League or not. Because, as I said the other week, Guardiola's... I said this, I said a couple of weeks ago, I think Guardiola's saying things that he really means, but he's just passing off his general comments. And I think I said a week later, by the way, that's definitely the case. So when he's talking about, oh yeah, the players will go back to hating me and stuff, like he's half joking. But he knows a lot of them are pissed off because they don't play. And why I link this to what you were saying about what do the players think when he picks a different team and he doesn't trust them. Like, it's a perfectly natural situation. Of course players are pissed off with the manager when they don't play. That is a statement of fact. But if you say after a defeat, it looks like you're either causing trouble or you're writing negatively or whatever. But as I've always said, and this is a bit like the Aguero thing last week, and fine, I appreciate with the timing of the Aguero one, I was always always going to be 
flying close to the wind with that one because nobody wanted to hear about Aguero not being entirely happy because it was such a good day. And I know I appreciate it, but talking about frogs and scorpions, it's my nature. I thought it's true. It's interesting. It's timely. Um, and by interesting, I mean, I think it is of interest for people to know that. Yeah. But I appreciate the time. It wasn't great. But with this and the way I've written it, and I might still change it, is I want to be a pains to point out. And this is, Mooney, I've, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, didn't I, after I had the conversation about the situation in the dressing room and how like six or seven of the players aren't happy. Is this where I fuck you over and say no and know nothing about this one? <laughs> uh, <we laughs> no, can't. you did, you did, you did. Um, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, and this is it, like, so... It was alarming, wasn't it? Like what I was telling you, you were yeah. like, I was fuck like, off. wow. But, yeah, no but when I was being, But when I was being told that, I was like, no, fuck off. And like, I, it was a group of like four of us and there was other people there who were like, you know, Barca fans, Pep fans. And they were like, yeah, but why, how, do they, how can they think this? You know, they play great football. And also I was like, well, how can they play this? And they play great football. Like if, surely, because in football, you think if a few players are unhappy in the dressing room and, and want to leave or whatever, you're thinking... Mourinho, aren't you? You're thinking they get the manager out, the team's finishing mid-table and the manager's sacked. Not, oh, there's there's five or six players unhappy, but by the way, they might win the Champions League. Like, Yeah, they'll win, they'll win a League and Cup double and get to the Champions League final. It doesn't really add yeah, up. Exactly. Yeah, it, exactly. It doesn't add up. And also, so I know that the, the narrative of that in football is if you win, if you win titles, everyone's happy. If you don't, if you're not happy, you don't win titles. That's literally how we perceive things to be in football. So the difficulty I've got in writing this article is it's going to look negative because they've lost the game, but the situation's the same anyway. And like I've always said, anyway, after that Sheffield United game when Jesus scored the winner, I wrote that article about him, not to be too positive and not to be too negative. I wanted it to be read at any point in time. And you could decide for yourself the pros and cons of Gabriel Jesus. And it's the same as this. There are players that are unhappy. It's a natural consequence. It happens in the team. And Guardiola's been mentioning it. And they want to... And this is the other difficult thing of it. They will. They City will be happy to get rid of a, a couple of players this summer if, if that's how it pans out. But where are they going? Who's, who can afford City players this summer? No one's yeah. got any money. And if they have got money, PSG, Chelsea, City aren't going to sell to them. So you've got this weird situation, and it's a weird situation for me, right? And I've and like I know another journalist who's got the info as well, and it's a weird situation for him. And it's just almost like, is it fucking worth doing? And this is the scorpion and frog element of it. Like I can't help myself because it's true. Like it's five or six different sources. Like when you've got that many. I mean, the, the, I think probably the mistake I'm making here is I'm I'm talking about this like everyone listening knows what I'm talking about, but obviously I think this will be news to a lot of people. Um, and look, everyone obviously you think, oh yeah, there's some players who can leave, and I, and I think everybody instinctively feels, oh yeah, obviously Laporte, but I mean obviously Laporte. Like, did you see what he said before the game? Like, <laughs> he was like, oh, when I talked about it before, it was different then, but I've, but basically the situations. He didn't, he didn't say worse, but I think the context suggested the situation is worse now. But what he actually said before that Burnley game was, oh yeah, well, we'll have to see what happens at the end of the season. And now he's saying, oh yeah, well, what I said before, it's now worse. So he's he's an obvious one. And I mentioned that in January, didn't I, about how he's not just in the team because Stones has kept his place, there's something else. And basically, he's he could well leave, but where's it going to go? But City, City have known this for six months. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? 
FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. You also slipped in earlier in the in the podcast uh, about Sterling as well, uh, potentially. That uh, I mean, he obviously had the the discussions with with Pep around the Southampton game at the Etihad. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I I assume a lot of people kind of kind of feel, and myself included, felt like that had kind of been sorted out. Um, I I mean maybe I I maybe you could assume that I don't know what necessarily the evidence would be apart from the fact that he started the final and I mean I know there was that story on the back of the Daily Mail about him being up for sale and people were like oh there must be a big game on as if by the way as if like stories in the media like that really affect you know the stuff that actually goes on in Premier League dressing rooms is like is so much like that there's there's so much that goes on that the teams just shrug off, especially teams like City. Like they're not going to be asked if there's a story saying a player's up for sale. I mean, it was bad timing. Like, even for somebody who wrote about Aguero not being happy the day after he scored two goals on his last ever Etihad appearance, <laughs> I appreciate it was bad timing, and I wouldn't have done it. Christ, um, but um, it's like it's, as far as I know, it's true. And like, it, if it's true, therefore they all know it anyway. So it can't just like it doesn't destabilize them whatsoever. But that's that's a little that's a little tangent. But yeah, so the Sterling situation. But again, it's difficult for me. And look, maybe I'd make life easier for myself if I just didn't bother saying any of this. Because at the end of the day, the chances are who's going to buy Sterling this summer? Who's going to buy Laporte? Possibly. Who's going to buy? I mean, Gabriel Jesus is another one. Because and like Aguero, obviously, like we've we've, we've talked about that. And there's more stuff. But maybe, maybe if Aguero does do that interview, which I hope he doesn't, and I, he probably, I don't know, maybe he won't. But if Aguero does give that interview that City are fearing he might, and people close to him suggest he might, and he he does have a go, then maybe we'll come back to that. Um, but like Jesus, he's thinking, well, you know, Aguero's not playing. I can't. I still can't get a fucking game. So, but I don't know if he wants to go. But like, so some of this is. I know that some of the players want to go and City will sell some of the players. In this case, I think that City would listen to offers for Jesus. I'm not sure if he wants to go, but I've heard he's unhappy. Because obviously there's another there's another line as well, which when I say unhappy, there's a big there is still a big difference. There's like a sliding scale of unhappiness in this team. And there's like I mean, I'm just gonna I don't know, but I'm gonna say like Foden and Diaz and De Bruyne at like that really happy end. I get I'm I'm guessing because you hear less about the ones that are happy. Obviously, you know the conversations are more around the people who aren't. And then you've got in the middle, you've got players who are like, like. I think Rodri is probably like, well, I mean, he's he's not happy about the last few games and losing his place and Cancelo, but I think they're in the kind of middle element of things not, are generally going all not, right. Not, yeah. not happy, but not wanting to leave, and then probably. Between, to be fair, if you then go back a bit more towards the happy scale, you've got like Mendy, who never plays, but is happy. Eric Garcia, who never plays, but is happy. And now if you think about it, why does Guardiola always say what a great guy Mendy is and what a great guy Garcia is? Because they're the ones who just fucking smile and get on with it and don't give him shit. And he knows that they're not complaining about him. Like it's, it's, actually, it's actually really important for a manager to know that. Um, and then you've got a bit more of a scale up the other end where it's like, right, we've had enough now. Like, and like Laporte is obviously one of those, and I think Sterling is one of those. Um, what Mar? I mean, I I don't know why the situation is with Mares. Maybe it's an age thing and a contract thing, but I think Mares. I like of all these players I'm mentioning. So Laporte, Jesus, Sterling, and now Mares. Um, I th- they're not going to sell all of them, obviously, but it's like. If none of the others can get a buyer and someone bids money for Mares, they might. And look again, like so, I've been talking to City fans about this all weekend. Like I was ruining their weekends right from the off, saying, "Look, <laughs> your team's getting ripped." Up. But no, but I was like, "Look," and I, I was a pains to point out to them, sitting around the table having a few beers. I was like, "Lads, your reaction to me telling you this was exactly my reaction when I was told it." Like that that's how it works like to, to again to put, to put that human element to it of well of course players are annoyed and of course this happens in a football team and I was speaking to somebody the other week who knows how these things work and he was like look at the end of the day as well don't forget footballers like to moan like it's it's annoying because footballers like to moan but the problem is you've then got players who are toxic with it and players who aren't and this is it there so there's I, I'm I don't know for a fact if there's City players who are toxic, I wouldn't use that word. But if we're talking about this scale, you've got players in the middle who, are, who aren't exactly happy. But, you know, I don't think Rodri's going to... 
I don't think, anyway, I might be wrong, but I don't think Rodri's going to kick off and ask to leave. But there are some a bit more who are a bit more like, okay, this is a situation now and we need to we need to make a few changes. And obviously, you've got the element of, even if they won the Champions League, this would be the same because you've still got the situation in the dressing room. But also, you need to make changes anyway to keep the team at the top. How many times have we said that about football in general? And we know yeah. Guardiola subscribes to that theory. So it's just the case that I know it sounds mad, I'd like I, I mentioned this because Mares has obviously been one of you know he's actually he was nominated wasn't he in the top three for City's Player of the Year, and he's been really good. But at the same time, I don't know exactly why. I don't I don't know if it's because he's unhappy. It it would be hard to imagine he would be. Um, or, or it might just be the fact that age and the contract situation means that he is another player who could go. But I, I want to stress, and in the full context of a podcast, and you should see how hard I've been trying to put this across in the article. Like, it's it is going to be difficult. Like, so on one hand, it's normal for this kind of stuff to happen. On the other hand, no. Well, in fact, on the same hand, it's a full hand. Yeah, it's it's normal for this for these things to happen. It's normal for a team to want to change. Um, a few players after you've been successful, like and Guardiola knows that. Uh, this would have been exactly the same if they'd won the Champions League. Um, they're not pro- they're, they're not going to be able to sell everyone they think it would be a good idea to sell anyway. So then you've got the situation where next season City are probably keeping hold of some of the players they wanted to sell. But circle all this back around to the start, they've. They won two trophies, semi-final and a final of the other trophies, despite this situation, which to me, and you and me, we are we are all in the same boat. I know I'm telling you, but we are all in the same boat because it sounds unbelievable to me. And it sounds like, how can this happen? Like, it's it's not falling apart. Like, and I think why I started saying this was because after Leon last year, people were saying that dressing room's not healthy. Yeah, they it's don't all, apart. And it, they and it don't all agree yeah. with Pep and they, they don't know what he's thinking in these big games. And the way the dressing room is, if it doesn't improve next season, it could fall apart. That was probably a fair assessment at the time. But we know that, you know, I've probably talked about five or six players there. How many are in the squad? There's 11-12 and they're the 11-12 that keep playing. And they're the 11-12. And look, there's some of them who do play and who... There's some of them who do play who are kind of share their concerns. And this was put to me, and again, this is just another purely human element of it. Guardiola, as we know, doesn't explain his decisions to the players, does he? Because it's part of the whole more distance between himself and the players since Barca, because he was mates with PK and Xavi. And like, if the players slagged him off then, he took it really personally, because he was like, but you're supposed to be my mates and I'm just trying to look after you. So then he tried to put more distance between himself and the players at Bayern, but he was still ended up really, like, really close with Lam and, and some others. I can't remember off the top of my head. And he's, and he's tried to put even more space between him and the City players. And again, I'm going to stress the point, it's fucking worked. Like, as I signed off that podcast, podcast the other week, I was like, it's been great. Like, people were, were gearing up midway through this season to say the Guardiola reign has fizzled out. It hasn't. And it isn't, you know, they're going to go again next season. What he does works. But the human element of not explaining your decisions to the players and expecting them to be happy and get on with it is when some of those players aren't happy and don't get on with it, they complain between themselves. But then some of the lads who are playing, but they're mates with the players who aren't, they don't feel any special kind of allegiance to Pep either. So it's easier to listen to their mates and go in, yeah, yeah that is bullshit, actually. You know, and the, it's just, the situation kind of festers a little bit. In that like we all work in yeah. workplaces. We've all been in workplaces where, like, and it might be completely unfair, but we just dislike the boss or, or whoever it might be. Everyone's got fucking breakaway WhatsApp groups. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a natural <laughs> human thing. So it's just, and you know, it, it's just, it's just how it is, and it's no different in the football dressing room. And I, I, I know it's going to look so bad after losing the Champions League final that oh, by the way, they want to sell five players or whatever it is. But like, and also it's not going to happen. They're not going to be able to sell them. But it's just an interesting thing to keep an eye on this summer because to buy Grealish and to buy Kane, where's that money coming from? Yeah, and there's yeah. talk about Rice as well. Which I've not heard, but there's talk about rice, um, and it's like, where's that money coming from? That is going to be if if you're buying even those two and a cheap left back, and if, certainly those three, that's going to be 
a lot of players out. And that also suggests to me that while I'm sitting here thinking they're not going to be able to sell these guys, maybe they already know they can. Because if they're far down the line with Grealish, and as far as I know, he wants to go to City now. He, he could have gone to United last summer. Or he was he was thinking he was going to go to United last summer. I don't know how it fell apart. But now he's, you know, he's all in for City. And so is Kane. But, you know, he's got to leave Spurs and it's basically the Messi situation. But if City are kind of down the line on them, if if that is the case, then maybe they've got a good idea that some of these sales can happen. And it's that situation, again, Scorpion and Frog. I can't... I've got this information. I'm really sure of it. It's come from really good places and like other colleagues as well. It's it's just It's just something that I think fans need to know or or find interesting and it's something that we might come back to and look i appreciate if we get to the start of next season and nobody's gone and there's not even been a sniff of it then you know it can look stupid and you know maybe it's wrong i don't think so but it will look stupid but i think it's something to keep an eye on over the summer um there's there's probably going to be a situation where some of the you know that some of the city's players will be linked with with going like there, there'll be more con- concrete interest, and I mean, like some of the names for being unhappy, like even just, just, just to kind of, I, I want to really put this in the right context, and it's a really difficult example, right? Because if I say this name, people are going to be like, Jesus Christ, this is doom and gloom. But also, if I say this name, it's an example of somebody who's had a great season. So if I were to tell you Bernardo Silva was in the middle of that scale. I don't know I don't know exactly why but being a bit unhappy like I hope that puts into context you can still be a fucking great player and one of the greatest you know one of the greatest contributors for City's season um and one of the you know most loved guys and hardest working guys and best attitude guys you know so even if four of those five are still at City next year you've you've still got the ability there for City to go and win the Premier League again and I, I, this isn't me saying they need to make these changes, otherwise it's going to go tits up. But this, but this all, this all chimes into the Aguero situation that we would. I, I remember talking to you back in in twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen about this, and, and and ultimately the throwaway was, you you don't have to like your boss, you don't have to like your boss yeah. to do a good job. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, when I was explaining this to my boss, actually. Because when I had this conversation, I rang him and I was like, you wouldn't believe what's going on here. <laughs> and he was like, and obviously I was, like I say, I was rational about it. And I was putting forward the counter arguments. Like, but how can you not, like, how, how can this be the case? Or like, what are they playing at? Like, not, not trusting Pep and all this kind of stuff. And he was saying the same thing. And he was like, look, you don't have to like your boss to, to do a good job. And I was like, I know. Trust me. <laughs> no. no. Um, but, no so, but like, I hope that Bernardo Silva example, because... It's it, that's an example of somebody who is, by all account, a lot of accounts, not entirely happy. And like, if I hadn't have known, if I hadn't been told that again, you know, when I was giving those examples of players who were at the end of the spectrum of being really happy, you know, like Foden and Diaz and and De Bruyne and stuff. Like, if I hadn't have known that, I would have I would have put Bernardo up there because you just think, well, he works really hard and he looks happy. And look, the interviews he's given this week in the build up to the final, he was like, it's a great dressing room, we all get on really well, and there's no jealousy and stuff, and it's like. Oh, like you don't make my job any easier, do you? Like, because because how much of a difference did it make in the last six months? And apparently it's been for a while. Like, how how much of a difference did it make this season that Bernardo wasn't happy? Didn't. He was great. He was one of the best players this season. He was one of the keys to the season when he came in. Um and it just goes to show that you can still be unhappy and not like the manager or whatever it might be in, in whatever case it is, because obviously they they've all got slightly different cases. And like Mendy, obviously Mendy might be sold this summer, but Ironically, he's one of the one of the smiliest guys. Um, you know, it's all individual cases. But the point I'm trying to say is, and look, forget the final. And this is another article I've written on the plane on the way back. In terms of a season review, like we've talked about the Premier League, it's done. We know how great it was. We've now talked about the Champions League final, and it was awful. But it doesn't make what happened before any less relevant or any yeah. less valid. It doesn't make it any less impressive. And this situation in the dressing room, which we never knew, but if maybe if we'd have talked about it three months ago, we'd have just come to terms with it and gone, okay, fine. Like it doesn't stop them. It clearly hasn't yeah. stopped them from being a great team, and also it won't stop them from being a great team next season. I would suggest. As, to be fair, ironically, that's actually made me feel better 
about how this podcast sounds. I know this won't be the case for everyone listening, but for the first half hour talking about the final, there was just nothing else to say. And it was just like, what a wasted opportunity. But when I'm now thinking all the things in my head about how, where the team is and how they're going to make these changes and come again, I, I, I feel more positive. I, I still feel like I said before the game, it feels like something's starting rather than ending. Yeah, the pathway like it, is it there. It feels like it? the momentum that started in January is is not about to fizzle out. It feels like they can go on again. But obviously part of going on again is just making the changes to the team that need to be made. And if you're going to bring in players who are really expensive in a year when you've made £120 million of losses, and obviously next year's can be balanced out a bit, but only a bit. You know, They're not going to make so much money that they can spend £250 million on players. Yeah, then something's got to give, hasn't it? It's, yeah, exactly. Someone's got to give. It's part of it. You might call me a dickhead today. You might, you might say I'm part of the agenda. We'll see how we'll see how the summer play, plays out. Um, but like I say, like, ironically, I, I, yeah, I still feel like next season is is going to go well because I feel like they've got a plan. They know they know what they need to do. It'll be hard to do it, but they'll be there. And even if it doesn't happen. You know, people thought it was going to go tits up after Leon last year, and look what yeah. they did. They had a great season. So why not, why can't they do it again? And if they do add someone like Kane, and you know, Grealish would be a really good player, but you know, like if you were to offer me Grealish or you know Sterling back to his best, it's much of a muchness, isn't it? Like you might as well just say save yourself the effort, and Sterling's going to score thirty goals next season. Brilliant. So you know, I'd be fine with that. But yeah, basically, I, as much as I've just kind of pissed on everyone's chips a lot. I'm trying to make the point that it's all in hand because as much as you might be surprised to hear that it's not stopped them and they were going to do this anyway. And even if they don't sell the players they want to sell, what they've done this season is a good example of of, of what's possible. They could yeah. do it next season again, even even if they they can't get rid of some of the players they would they would like to. But I mean, how do you feel listening to all that? Because like, well. I'm, I need to know what I know. I need to know what people are going to say about me. Yeah, <laughs> um, I. But but you know me, mate. I don't hate you. So there's there's that. Um, and there's also <laughs> I mean, no. In, in all seriousness, I, I don't know to be honest. I think um, I was surprised when you told me because it's mad. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, so was I. I've been dealing with this for two weeks. But um, I, like you say, I don't think it's un, unfeasible that that's that that it's there. I, I did mm. when you first told me the names. I did think it was probably more of a problem than it actually is. And listening to you talk about how um, you know you just need how how you know players can get upset here and there, and, and you know it, it's not necessarily a major yeah. thing. And how you can still provide your best when you're not um, when you when you're not particularly happy is you know it's it's calmed me down a little bit. I think yeah, but it I, needs a podcast for that because if you say footballers are unhappy, then alarm bells nobody's going. going I'm, I'm nobody's thinking, going. This is a good story. Yeah, I'm thinking Championship Manager, the the UNH. Yeah, of course. Yeah, name and thinking, oh well, they've got to leave then in that case, and it's not necessarily true. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm a lot calmer well, when when it's case. in that context. Yeah. Well, fucking, it'd be much easier if everyone was top of the world but it's not the case is it and like yeah um and you need you need to make those changes again look at liverpool how many pieces were written last summer about how you know how great they are and obviously they had a great season but didn't make many changes and now salah and mané both ate clock so yeah. well done like it's just how it's how it works like it's just it's football ironically um I, I i feel like i'm ending this podcast on an upbeat note because they despite everything they've done all this and despite everything, they'll they'll do it again. And look, if they've done all this with five or six players who are unhappy, imagine they get rid of three of them and they bring in Kane and Grealish and Rice for argument's sake. I'm not sure about Rice, but that seems to be the suggestion. Like, what what can they do next year? Maybe they. Okay, this is the earliest the quadruple start quadruple talk has ever started. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they can win the quadruple next season, just because. Like, what look what they've done already, and clearly it's not a perfect situation, but. And look, even if they don't get the changes, they just do it all again. Yeah, they'll be all right. They'll be all right. Um, yeah. yeah, well, that's the end of this week. This final Why Always Us of the season. Uh, Sam, oh. enjoy the summer as best you can. I feel, um, I feel like even if it's not on The Athletic, which I'm sure they would publish, but I can't believe this is the last one of the summer. Like I feel I feel like this is the end of Line of Duty and people are like, 
you can't leave it there. <laughs> like, so e- even if it's me and you just doing a recording and putting it up on, I don't even know where you put podcasts. If, if I don't know, or maybe we'll just do it on. We'll do a Blue Moon or something. Blue yeah. Moon as well. But yeah. yeah, like, if there's more to be said and this develops or people have got, you know, if people are like, what the hell are you talking about? We've got questions. Then we'll just, we'll do something. Like, the, the idea, again, the, the idea that this is the last podcast of the season and we say, right, see you in three months. Is incredible, but um, look, well, halfway we, through the season, if somebody goes, then we'll just be like, "Well, okay, here we are." In fairness, this is we what did we were say talking about. Yeah, in fairness, we did say that um, if any big news breaks over the summer, we will hop on a microphone and uh, and, and and get another white whistle. So, yeah, like so, if Sterling uh, yeah. if Sterling leaves, or like if there's if there's talk of Sterling leaving, or like you know, it, it's well reported that he's handed in a transfer request or something like that. I'm just talking hypotheticals. Then we will because. I realise I've just dumped a lot of people, a lot of stuff on people um, at a very difficult moment. And I almost feel like we definitely should delete all this and do it another week. But um, yeah, if if people listen to this podcast, they know what they know what I'm about. They know what we're about. It'll be fine. Um, City are really good. <laughs> um, I'll still be writing loads of stuff over the summer. They'll sign some good players. They'll let go of some that didn't really get in the team this year anyway. And everything will be good again. Yeah. So thanks very much. <laughs> thanks to Sam Lee. I'm David Mooney. Don't forget, you can sign up to The Athletic right now for £3.99 a month for six months. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. The Athletic. <laughs>